welcome in Limestone Nation to episode number nine of the Breaking the Rock podcast. I'm Michael Sanders, coordinator of social and digital media, as well as my most important job here on campus, pool operator. Alongside a coordinator for media relations, Jordan Perry. As always, Jordan, how are we doing this fantastic Friday morning? We are doing great this Friday morning. It's been a week or so since we did our last recording. I'm excited to be back doing another one with another good guest that we have here today. Absolutely. You know, it has been a little bit of time since our last episode. We want to kind of touch on that just for a second. Um, we took a little hiatus. We're switching gears a little bit. We're going to kind of move to the one week, uh, one episode a week model here as we move into sports starting up here hopefully in the end of november basketball scheduled currently to start on november 21st so we're going to let our student athletes kind of get a little bit more time on the court instead of worrying with us here in a podcasting room uh, and sitting down so we're going to move to that one episode a week model usually it's going to come out on friday kind of start your weekend off right with a little limestone news um so that's kind of what we're thinking of there uh, it may change. This is a moving target, of course, as we move through this pandemic still. Um, we don't want to leave you guys hanging, per se, with information. Uh, so if we have extra episodes, we'll throw them in there. We will we'll give you guys the content that you're asking for. And uh, that's really what we want to do here. So, um, But Jordan did mention, yeah, we've got a great guest on today. Um, you know, I was looking the other day. It's been somewhere around 230 days since Limestone has had an on-campus sporting event. It's uh, unbelievable that it's, it's been that long. <laughs> That's hard to fathom. It's crazy to think about that. Um, and we won't necessarily have a quote-unquote on-campus event, but you know we consider this on-campus because football doesn't necessarily play on-campus. They play at the local high school, but that's our home stadium. So it'll be about 236 to 237 days between home events for Limestone. And... You know, we're bringing in uh, head football coach Brian Turk here in a minute, and uh, he's going to talk about how he got into football, how he got into coaching, how he ended up here at Limestone. Going to talk about the fall game, which is going to act as our spring game, um, but also just just re- bringing that in, 230-some days. Man, that's just crazy to think about. It's been a long wait. We are all eager to get back going. It's going to be fantastic to see some live-action hitting and some live-action football. Um, but yeah, so we'll bring him on now, the head football coach for Limestone University, Brian Turk. Brian, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, happy to be here. I've enjoyed y'all's podcast prior to this and, uh, really appreciate the chance to come talk to you guys. Well, absolutely. You know, we had to go to the top for, for a football <laughs> thing here. So, uh, you know, we, we had Devin on one of your assistants earlier. We, we talked with him and uh, he was a good talk. So we figured uh, if, if, if Coach Turk hired him, he's probably knows a little <laughs> bit about football too. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll start before we get into the the fall game. We'll we'll do exactly what we do with everybody else, and we just want to get to know Coach Turk a little bit better. We want to know the man behind the visor, the visor, <laughs> <laughs> because I have to imagine, and and this is obviously going to come back a little bit when we get into your your college career. I imagine there was somebody who may have had a little bit of an impact on wearing a visor on the sidelines. Um, But before we get to that, let's just talk about what kind of got you into football at a young age growing up. What what was the the kicking off point for your football career, really? You know, it's funny to think about that. I don't know if I've ever had a chance to sit down and really have that thought process. But now thinking about it today, you know, just growing up, my dad really loved football. He um, played collegiately for a year, and he ended up going on a different path. But – 
you know, watching football with him growing up was some of those things where, you know, you're just like a, I didn't have, I'm the oldest in my family, so I didn't have an older brother kind of to show me the ropes. So my dad and I watched a lot of sports together. I remember going to Carolina football games growing up and uh, Carolina basketball games. I'm speaking of South Carolina and when I say that. So I know some people in North Carolina speak differently. Um, but, uh, you know, really, I just remember those times watching Monday Night Football as a kid. And, you know, those games would come on later as when you're younger watching 30 minutes when I was a kid. And then as, as I get older and older, watching more, and I just love the game. I had a AFC, NFC sheets on my bed, I remember. Uh, I remember having the, the trading cards growing up. It's just been a part of my life, really, uh, ever since I can remember. Um, it's been a game that has been there for me um, at all times. Now, obviously, my career is not the same as Devin uh, Watson's on our staff or even Cliff Matthews. Um, but what it's meant to me has been immeasurable, honestly. So now growing up, obviously watching football a lot, did you get into playing at a young age? Yeah. Did you do Pop Warner or, or what, what were you doing for, for the playing aspect so of it we, as well? We, I grew up in Columbia, in Irmo in Columbia, and um, it was uh, played football in the backyard all the time, obviously when you were really, a really young pup. Then we played, uh, it was Pop Warner, but it was called Rec League. Um, and we play, I played that starting in elementary school. Uh, when I went to middle school at Ben Lippin High School or Ben Lippin Middle School, um, played on the C team, then I played on the B team, and then uh, it was just part of my life going all the way through. Uh, my senior year of high school, uh, I tore my labrum in my shoulder, and I didn't finish my career, uh, but I was able to get into coaching, which was interesting. I was, we didn't, you know, at a small, you know, you think of a private school, you think it's a school that's got tons of money, you think about all those other places, but we had a bunch of dads helping us out, and people, you know, the chain crew was my buddies from, you know, who played basketball, and uh so I was like, well, coach, you mind if I help and jump in on helping coach the receivers or something like that? And he said, absolutely, it'd be great. And so I was coaching my my peers, technically, and uh, kind of just jumped into it and pretended like it wasn't that case and fell in love with the game in a, in a, in a different way. Um, you know, we'll get into it. I guess we can lead into it. But my, my dad passed when I was 15, and uh, it was hard. It was uh, We used to play basketball all the time together at Church League. Uh, he went Monday night – or uh, it was Wednesday night – went to go play. Uh, it was one of the nights I was going to go, and he's like, yeah, I want you to stay home tonight. Uh, I really feel like that was the Lord, and uh, he goes to the basketball uh, to the gym, local church in uh, in Columbia, and uh, drops dead on the court. And uh, it was something that was, you know, I mentioned earlier I didn't have an older brother, so my dad was, he and I are going to everything. I had a, a younger sister, obviously, but, um, you know, the, the, the bond between a dad and a son, you go to all these games, and so it was hard. And uh, when I went back, that, that was my freshman year of high school, I went back for spring practice. And uh, it was one of those moments where, you know, if you've ever lost a loved one or had something traumatic happen in your life, uh, you're you kind of sometimes when you're not busy, your thoughts can kind of be difficult. And uh, so I'm at the house, and uh, the, the coach who was a former Carolina player, his name's Marty Simpson, he's a really strange, a fun career. He went from being a high school football coach and a lawyer to now he's a comedian. Um, but uh, wild, director, wild. Yeah. Um, and uh, he uh, said, do you want to come out of spring practice? And I, I was very thankful for that opportunity. Uh, so for those two and a half, three hours I was out there in practice, I was uh, able to just be with my friends and the coaches and the community of football. And I fell in love with football in a lot different way. It was a lot more meaningful to me than just, uh, you know, people hitting each other and all that kind of stuff. The, the bond and the relationship I had with my coaches, um, as a mentor and a father figure was huge for me. And it really has kind of uh, driven my, my passion and my, my vision for what coaching is. So, I mean, obviously 
you know, losing losing your dad at that age was was a tough time for you. Mm-hmm. And you say almost football was that replacement in in your mindset. Really, it was kind of what turned you from from the darker side back mm-hmm. into a, a normality in life per se. Yeah, and I think that was one of the messages I know Devin kind of talked about with, with his rough times uh, growing up as well. Is that you know there's something that you got to kind of focus your mindset on in order to kind of get out of that dark time, whether it's an activity, another person, a, a group of people, um, having some kind of support system around you is obviously something that really helped. Um, now you you mentioned your injury in senior year um, that kind of threw you off of your your football game were you at getting looked at by colleges or anything like that at in your high school career no, or was it just you know you were playing for the fun of it at that point playing for you know the the mentality of it and then you were just going to kind of go to college and be a normal person it, it so it seems so weird to think about this i graduated high school 15 years ago and how much recruiting has changed in 15 years uh I know that sound, that number is a big number, but just even being there, that was back when you're sending DVDs out to coaches and trying to do all the stuff. You're you're signing up for recruiting services, and people are selling you a dream. Uh, I, I chased that a little bit. Um, I had some some minor you know letters here and or uh, some recruiting information coming, but it was nothing where it was a substantial. I really once I tore my labrum, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. Um, you know, South Carolina's I, I bleed garnet and black, and um, so I was like, well, let me go to there and and try to kind of carve a new path and so what little interest I had I, it was it was not something I felt like as I wanted to pursue I didn't feel like the Lord was calling me in that that situation and um so when all this happens it was uh, I really felt it was the right the right uh, move for me okay so you started coaching and like you said you're coaching your peers you know I think that's a difficult task as it is uh, whether you're an adult you know you're 20 30 years older than the kids but you were you know that same kind of age group um how to go for you in terms of getting them to buy into the things that you were saying were they listening to you were you struggling with that or it seemed like you liked it enough no matter how big the challenge that you wanted to keep going you know it was interesting uh the first time i went out there they all kind of like hey oh, coach turk air quotes and all that kind of stuff but um they already knew i knew about the, the position and the sport and they knew I, my passion for it um i think and then once i had drills and things for them to do is kind of we just kind of got into it and um these are buddies who I still speak with. I mean, I have a a, a fantasy football league I'm in that the guys, the rest of the 11 people in there, I coached them in high school. And uh, there, this is a group that I ended up staying at Ben Lippin and coaching for three years after this. But um, this group kind of came up after them, and so the relationships have always been there. Um, but to your initial question, no, it wasn't tough. I, I kind of just was like, they may be my peers, but in this moment I'm going to be their coach and I'm going to coach them. It's you know the same thing I've had experience at South Carolina – you go from playing to becoming a graduate assistant, so it's the same thing. Now you're in the coaching side of it, but you, like last year you're just in the locker room wearing the uniform. Uh, it's always weird, but if you can kind of put yourself in that mindset and the mind frame of I'm here to do a job to get them better, I think they'll appreciate that and know where you, that you're coming from the right spot. So you mentioned now that you you know, you know breed the, the, the garnet and black, if you will. Um, we, we mentioned earlier on, and it's funny that you guys are sitting here wearing rather Carolina blue <laughs> in, in the North Carolina sense mm-hmm. uh, jackets here today as we're mentioning the, the real Carolina. We'll call it the real Carolina um, to make everybody feel good around here. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. I don't, I don't have any dog in this fight. Uh. <laughs> I, I bleed golden gophers. So I bleed <laughs> maroon and gold for me. Um, but so you mentioned we get into South Carolina now. You're going there for college. You start as a student manager with the football team, mm-hmm. and you you kind of move your way up through the ranks as you're as you're there. 
um, not only while you're in school, but also as you move past school and, and become almost full time with the mm-hmm. team as well. Kind of take us through that journey a little bit. Yeah, so I mentioned when I went to college, I knew I had a different path. Uh, I had to start thinking outside the box. And I was trying to get access, um, and it was a way to get in the door. Um, I, I've never been afraid of hard work, um, and uh, that's something that's been instilled from my mom and, and, you know, watching her take that. I mean, she was a single mom uh, trying to get her master's degree and then trying to help us go to school. I mean, it was it was insane. And uh, so I, I was instilled with that from, long, from a young age. Um, so I go in there to get access to it. Chris Matlock was the head equipment manager at South Carolina at the time. Uh, him and Jake Corbett, who's now at uh, Columbia University, um, they gave me an opportunity. And then Jake um, really gave me the freedom to, once my tasks were done, I'd stay there long after everybody else left. And I'm watching film on my own. Uh, there was a guy at the time, he's a GA, he played quarterback at South Carolina named Mike Rath. Uh, I credit him with giving me the most opportunity. Uh, Mike knew I had knowledge of the game, and he also knew that I could help him in his role and his job. Uh, so he got me from the sidelines up into the press box, uh, really as a freshman in college. And so I'm charting plays, helping uh, do some other things during the game. Uh, I can lead, we can discuss that, I guess, another time. But um, helping us try to win football games. And uh, it was just a, an opportunity. And then, uh, you know, you kind of continue to prove yourself and you get more and more coming to you. So I would then... Uh, at South Carolina, as a sports management major, uh, you have to take two internships. And this is probably not great future planning, I guess. I was going all in, to use a phrase, uh, on, on working in South Carolina. I had two internships. You know, South Carolina is very well plugged in uh, in terms of sports management, like we are here at Limestone. And uh, I had some opportunities. I was like, I want to do my internships in the football department. And then, uh, so not really forward thinking very much at the time, but I knew what I wanted. And, um, so those times I was in internship, I didn't have any classes. So I was at the building 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And uh, I'd go start seeing in meetings. I'd watch more film on my own. I'm asking lots of questions. And uh, just trying to get myself uh, in the door and in people's eyes that I can work and do this. Um, and it just, you know, the Lord opened doors for me. Coach Spurrier took notice and some other people took notice. And I continued working my way uh, along the path. And um, by the time I was done, I was in the box uh I'll just say I was stealing signals and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, I'm charting, I'm, I'm communicating with coaches on the sideline, like, hey, this is, you know, this is the coverage you're getting, this is the formations and the fronts and all that kind of stuff, and talking a lot of X's and O's in the game. And sometimes when you take a step and look back at it, you're like, shoot, man, they, they gave me a lot of trust and, uh, and to, to be able to say, to speak to a Hall of Fame head coach and tell them this is what they're doing, I trust me, this is what's happening, and it worked. Uh, I still remember sitting in the SEC championship game in 2010, we got freaking killed by Auburn uh, and Cam Newton, but um, it was still an unbelievable experience. You're at the top of the Georgia Dome, and you're looking down, and the head coach, the Hall of Fame guys, gets you does these championship games, asking, "What are you seeing up there?" And it was just it's, it's wild to think about. So clearly, we know we mentioned in kind of the intro a little bit the the HBC, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, the head ball coach, as as anybody who's a Carolina fan or really anybody in the SEC knows him as. Um, he, he clearly had a large impact on you. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up through the coaching ranks obviously being able to to give you that responsibility and that trust and uh, we mentioned uh, you know I kind of chuckled it off but you you do tend to wear a visor on the <laughs> sidelines is that kind of an homage to him or is that yeah. just something you just kind of like to do well no it's definitely an homage to him uh, I, I love coach Spurrier um, I really do he gave me an opportunity I will forever be indebted to him uh, for that I wear uh, so funny story I wore it the first year um, and then 
my wife, who is the real head coach of all things. And uh, she is very upset that I was burning my head during the games because I don't have a lot of hair. Uh, many would say I'm bald. Um, so uh, I, uh, she said, you need to wear a hat. And so we got these nice new hats that I wear now. And so I'm like, you know what? And it's honestly, truly, it was kind of a weird thing because, you know, you, you guys have worked for people before and they've been mentors to you and, and you've looked at them a certain light. And when you get their, your opportunity, you kind of want to do model and emulate them. And that's kind of what I was feeling. I say, hey, I, I want to do this. Like Coach Spurrier would do it. I, you know, I have so much tremendous respect, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of had to separate myself from that and say, I'm going to do it to a certain extent, but I've got to do what I want to do at the end of the day and do it the way that I feel is, is right. And not that anything that Coach Spurrier did was wrong, but um, just taking what he did uh, that I really cherish and then applying it to the way and just being true to myself. Um, so I wore the visor uh, until my wife said the head burnt too much and she was angry. Uh, and then, um, not angry really, but, and then she said, you need to be wearing a hat. So I wear a hat now. She's looking out for the best. No though. doubt. Yeah. She wants me around for the long haul. Absolutely. So are you still in touch with coach Spurrier? Yeah, I tr- actually, I was on the phone last night with a former assistant, uh, Ellis Johnson. We talked for about 40 minutes. It's great to catch up. I try to call and We talked about coach Spurrier for a long time. I try to call coach maybe every couple of months. Um, you know, he's, uh, down working at university of Florida, uh, when I took the job, he gave me a bunch of advice. We talked on the phone. Now, Coach Spurrier is a great person, and uh, when you have a conversation with him, uh, I had a 15-minute conversation, and I'm like, this is probably the longest we've talked continuously at one point since I left. A 15-minute conversation with him seems like a 45-minute with like with us. Um, so um, he's a unique person, and I'll say it, I say that in the most positive way po- uh, possible. He's a savant when it comes to football. Uh, I still remember in his office, uh, he's not a savant when it comes to technology. He had this big, giant TV in his office, and uh, he had the remote. He turned it on. It was always on the Golf Channel, never on Sports Center, never on the news. But that's only because he didn't know how to work the TV. And so, you know, like, I'd be down in my graduate assistant office, and you come down and say, hey, Turk, let's, uh, let's go up there and watch some film. And that was because, A, he didn't really know how to work the computer, so he just needed to be running the computer while he watched the film. So you, you can be a savant in one category, and then you can be in other ways. It's other ways. So Coach Spurrier, obviously big deal. Um, not the only head coach you worked for at South Carolina, though. You you moved into kind of the initial year of, of Muschamp as well mm-hmm. at South Carolina before, and we'll get to you coming here to Limestone and coming to Gaffney, of course. Um, but what was it like working for, for Coach Muschamp as well? You know, it was um, – I mean this very sincerely and politely. It was a 180, truly. Um, you know, Coach Muschamp gets a real bad rap that he's some angry guys storm around the building. Um I feel like we have a great relationship. Um, you know, it's uh, he would call me up to the office. We I, my my title changed um, when I went from Coach Spurrier to Coach Muschamp. I was a quality control coach, which is an assistant to the assistant coach. Really, I mean, you're like the, the second assistant. I was like the assistant quarterbacks coach um, uh, under Coach Spurrier. And then I trans. I was able to thank the Lord stay in that role. Um, I don't know what where I would have been or what I've done had I been um, let go, but. Work in that role, I get the new title of uh, director of recruiting or as director, of, or assistant director of player personnel, whatever the. the I, I just director of recruiting is the easiest way to describe it to people, and um, so it was a it was a different role for me. I went from being with my feet in the grass, uh, helping in development, uh, to behind a desk all day, and I'm watching a lot of huddle film. And so it's like, you know, I tell the recruits all the time, I like your film, but I don't like watching it for 12 hours a day. It's, it gets a little old, and so. Um, it was a very different coach. Um, Muschamp is incredibly detail-oriented. He's got your year mapped out ahead of you um, with Coach Spurrier. Uh, we had a daily 8.30 staff meeting. Uh, and then, you know, I remember being on vacation one time and getting a text 
uh, me and Sean Elliott, were, uh, who's now the head coach at Georgia State, were both in the beach at the time and uh, said, oh, by the way, we have a staff meeting. Like, we were told that we were allowed to take vacation. So we both hopped in the cars and were driving back up to Columbia uh, for a staff meeting. But it was, so it was very different. Um, but um, both are unique in their own ways. And Coach Muschamp um, is one of the most detailed, uh, just you know, kind of process-oriented people I've been around. He's really, really, really sharp. Now, that was only for a year or two, I think, uh, 18 right? 18 months. 18 months, okay. Mm-hmm. I knew it was a very short time um, because, you know, we we, uh, we stole you away. Right. Um, now, we, let's talk about how we got you here to Limestone. Obviously, hired by Coach Furry mm-hmm. when he was here as as the head coach. Um, what what was really the drawing point to Limestone for you? Okay. Uh, well, that's um, a great question. So, it was um, – I'll be honest. I didn't really know much about Limestone, truthfully. I really didn't. Um, I've been in South Carolina my whole life. I've been to Gaffney one time prior to coming up here on my, on my uh, interview. Um, player I coached, Dylan Thompson, who's now with the Detroit Lions, um, he was – playing in the NFL at the time with the Rams and uh, he was uh, he lives in Bowling Springs he knew uh, Mike Furry through some connections so Dylan would come up here and watch film with them talk to the staff um, and Dylan knew that I was I was looking I want to get back into coaching and um, so he kind of put me and Mike in touch um, and so I came up on interview Mike had a lot of very um, uh morals and principles that I believed in and, and, and felt comfortable with. Uh, it was I wanted a chance to um, – I never – I'll say this, and I've said it a million times, I never came to Limestone expecting me to be the head coach here. It's, it's, been a God, it's been a God thing. It's been a blessing ever since. But I came here wanting to help Mike build something. I wanted to help raise the professionalism amongst the players and the staff, and I wanted to help take some pressure off of him. I, I just I knew when I came on the interview – you know, people are coming in out of his office, and he's handling everything. Mike was uh, uh, much a micromanager, um, and I don't, I don't mean that as a negative thing. That's just who he was, and so he wanted to have his fingerprints on everything, and I wanted to be able to take some of that stuff off of him and allow him to be the head coach. And so when I came up here, I didn't know what to expect. I, I tell people all the time I was going to be like junction boys, like dirt fields, and, and I don't mean that as a, as a slight. I, I mean this as a, a slight to me. I was the biggest SEC snob there was. I'm like, you know, South Carolina, and, you know, we play it the death valley and we play here and i didn't know what to expect and when i got here um it was the biggest surprise and really encouragement you know we i come out and watch practice vincent smith run around on the field josh simmons run around the field some other players that uh you know jamil hornsby going to a, a, a training camp for or a, a rookie mini camp so some players that were here i'm like look around like oh, this is real talent here this is a, ch- a chance to be something special and i knew once obviously you come on the interview you do the history of the school I knew the history was very, very small and that there wasn't a whole lot of success. I was like, man, it'd be sweet to be a part of it. Like, and that's the whole Coach Spurrier thing, like the firsts. I want to be helping make the first winning season, first time to make the playoffs. I want to be a part of that and bring some of the traditions that we had in South Carolina uh, to here, to Limestone. And then it was kind of a whirlwind. Mike Furry leaves after the first season, and uh, it was wild. So, obviously, you, you worked for a second head coach here for a year. Um, well, really for – seven games um before you take over his interim title and then working through that and become full head coach in the spring there um you already kind of talked a little bit about the traditions that you wanted to bring you want to be that first here for limestone what firsts are you still trying to kind of grasp onto here as head coach well the first thing obviously is a winning season i think that's got to be got to be something the school's been playing for six years and there's been a lot of talent that's come through here um, we just got to come together as a team to get this first winning season. Um, you know, we've never beaten Carson Newman, never beaten Lenore Ryan, never beaten Wingate. Oh, no, we've beaten Lenore Ryan, excuse me, never beaten Wingate. 
Um, you know, we were able to beat Catawba this year, which was a nice win. Had our first win in the month of November. You know, just trying to establish some traditions. Uh, I want to be the first team to make the playoffs. I want to be the first team to make a run in the playoffs, have a home game. And um, I've got big visions for what we want to do here. Our kids do too. Um, and I don't ever, you know, I, I think it's such a cop-out by coaches. Sometimes they come into a new school and they go, well, they don't know how to win. They don't know how to work. I don't think that's a, a fair assessment for every coach to say that. I think our kids um, work hard. I think they just got to channel their, their hard work in the right direction. Um, and I think that we had a chance to do something good here. Um, but I, I will say this. I've actually been the interim head coach here twice. So I'm probably the most tenured interim head coach in the history of football. Um, but uh, it was I was the interim head coach for a recruiting class. Uh, the other coach, uh, coach I really came in after me, and then I was the uh, interim coach for two, three, two, three weeks, and then I was the head coach. So, you know, Mikey and I spent a lot of time on your guys' upcoming schedule and in one of our prior podcast episodes, and we went back through with you know how you guys did last year, and you know you had a couple of big wins, but you also had a lot of games that you were really close with. So, do you think it's like a matter of just you know finally putting all the pieces together? Mm-hmm. Do you think that you're close at that point? I really do think we're close, um, and I mean. I think every coach is going to say that, you know, hope springs or spring, hope springs eternal, whatever the phrase is. But now we're in the fall. But um, I, I really do feel like we're, we're there or we're getting we're not there. We're getting closer to being there. Um, like you mentioned, you know, the game, the first home game of the year, the Tusculum game or the second home game of the year, first uh, conference game, Tusculum game was rough. Um, I think we had to really get kicked in the teeth a little bit to realize, OK, I can't do it my old ways anymore. Um, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I think we need to realize, okay, I can't do this anymore. So then we go and get uh, two straight wins uh, after that. I'm not going to go through the whole season, but to your point, after that Wingate game where it's 7-3 to at halftime, and, I, you know, I always talk about it's like when he's walking on the water in the in the Bible and he finally looks down he falls into the water. I felt like that was us at halftime. Like, hey, we're in this game. It's 7-3, to and all of a sudden Patton, who I love to death, my first signing here at Limestone, uh, fumbles the ball first play I think in the second half and uh, all of a sudden we just right down into the water um, but after that you look at every game is a seven point ten point deficit um, a nice win against UVA wise later in the season and you know in the moment uh, you're so competitive you're like uh, man moral victories don't don't count don't matter um, looking back on what we were able to do going from that 15 game losing streak uh, to breaking it to playing very tough football games um, you know, I'm really proud of what we did last year, and it's, it's, a, it's a good first step. So talking about putting the pieces together, we're going to get our first look at the the new and improved, if you will, uh, Saints of, of 2020, 2021, because mm-hmm. you guys are going to play in 2021. Right. You're going to have two seasons in 2021, a spring and a fall <laughs> season. That's going to be real weird for a lot of people mm-hmm. out there. Um, but we're going to get our first look at the team next Saturday, November 7th. Um, kickoff is at noon. Tickets are available online right now. If you go to golimestonesaints.com and the tickets link right up on top, you can request your tickets. Um, you're going to have about 2,000 fans, mm-hmm. hopefully, in the stands, which will be nice. But what are you really looking for? And take us through a little bit about the you know, the, the game plan for the spring-fall game, um, the scoring system and all that stuff. But what are you really kind of looking to get out of that? Yeah, so you know, it's, it's different um, as a coach. Um, I remember going to spring games when I was younger and being like, oh, this is so cool to see these incoming freshmen or uh, see how this guy developed from last year. I was kind of a football nerd uh, back then, but still am. Um, but as a coach, you want to, to be a good product on the field. Uh, we don't want to look you know, sloppy and, and terrible. Um, but it was one thing. It's, you only get 15 of these practices, and so this counts as one of your 15. 
And so you're really hoping it's like a uh, it's like the final exam. You've got all these other things going through there. We have a scrimmage uh, again this Saturday. That's like a midterm. You finally put all the pieces together. You're getting everything going and trying to put a nice product on the field for the 15th practice. And uh, you want it to look sharp as a, as a head coach and as a coaching staff. You want to come out of there with no injuries, and you want the guys to get a chance to showcase themselves. I remember um, we used to have scrimmages uh, in pre-practice or preseason practice, uh, you know, training camp back in uh, at South Carolina. And Coach Spurrier is always like, we got to get some fans in the stands. And I'm like, I used to be like, well, why, why? Why is that important? There's only like you know, a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand show up. And he was like, it's different when you get in front of under the lights and in front of people's eyes, you start playing differently. And you got to find out who can do that stuff, even if it's only a couple thousand people, like you mentioned, Mikey, but, or if it's you know, 10,000 people or 80,000 people in their situation. But if you get underneath people's eyes and people are watching you, start, you find out who tightens up in those moments. And so it's something I've carried along with me. We've had um, some scrimmages with some recruits here on campus and stuff. And so that has been a little bit different. But um, this, this spring game, I think you'll – or fall game, <laughs> I keep saying that. Uh, you guys will uh, – you'll see a good product on the field. We have – our defense has uh, grown in the second year under Coach Fargo. Um, his staff has done a really good job on that side of the ball um, developing. You know, we went from a uh, – we're not a very senior-heavy team again this year. We're looking at about 18 to 20 seniors. Um, really, uh, that, the freshman class of our first year as a staff bringing together, transitioning to sophomores, and that sophomore class prior going into juniors will be the kind of the backbone of the defense. Um, offensively, we don't have a ton of seniors either. Uh, we had some some nice transfers that came in mid-year. Um, Demond Ellison's a receiver who transferred from Mercer. Uh, he'll be uh, he's had a nice camp so far. Jeremiah Bogan is a transfer from North Greenville. Um, also have done well for us. We've had two guys transfer from Coastal Carolina. One's a Gaffney uh, High School alum. Uh, Jaden Clayton's a linebacker. Uh, he's from Gaffney. And Anthony McAfee also transferred from Coastal. So we did nice. I call it the transfer market for all the, uh, the European soccer uh, heads out there listening. But um, it's uh, you have your recruiting part, and then you have your transfer market window. And so we, we did well in there. We, we have a certain type of profile of a kid that we're looking for, and we found them, and they've done a great job for us so far. As far as the scoring system for the game, uh, you know, I've watched some games before on TV. I remember watching Vanderbilt one time. They're like points for the field goals pregame. They're points for punts so they can pin them in the 20. Uh, it's going to be football, okay? The only thing we'll, we probably don't have right now is the depth to go two complete different teams. Uh, but what you'll see is the defense wearing a certain color, the offense wearing a certain color, and the quarterbacks will represent the scoring. So if a quarterback wearing blue is on the field, uh, and their offense scores, the blue will get those points. Uh, if the quarterback wearing white, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, that's uh, always an interesting scoring system when you look at spring fall games. You, you, you're, you sit there sometimes, and like you were saying with the Vanderbilt game, it's like, yeah, um, okay, so that's a field goal, so that's worth six points, plus they drove for 40 yards, so that's another two points. Mm -hmm. It just gets real crazy. Yeah. And you, you were mentioning before we came on air, you're not quite a mathematician. No, so. no, no, no. <laughs> so six points plus a PAT, that's a whole lot that, easier for everybody else. And, you know, the, the fans in the stands, they don't, they don't want to come out there and have to get their calculators out and figure out the score for themselves. Like, they want to enjoy football for the moment because we're in a, such a weird time. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, one other improvement, of course, they have over at Gaffney High – um, is they, they did put in the new Jumbotron. Um, so you're going to be able to see probably some more, and this is probably something you're a little more used to, obviously, at like South Carolina and some of the bigger uh, stadiums that you've been to as, as a coach throughout your career. Um, does that really kind of change the atmosphere for the players at all when they see something like that on, on you know, they could even see their video live on the scoreboard, things like that. Mm -hmm. Is that something that really kind of adds to the 
the overall, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, atmosphere, I guess, of the game? Yeah, it, it definitely does. And like we talked about off-air before this, people want their what they're doing to matter and be important. And I think when the kids can see themselves on the screen, and the screen is, I've, I've seen it, I've not been to a game this year, I got to see it when I went over to the stadium, but um, it's been really impressive to see the additions to the, that beautiful stadium that it is already. Um, it's, it's a great home environment for us. Um, anytime there's people in the stands, anytime there's uh, you make it an atmosphere like it's going to be this this for the fall game, the band, the cheerleading, the dance, all the people that's going to go into it, and Bloomer and, and Dennis Bloomer and, and Matt Hayes do a great job helping us get ready for those games. I know I'm missing a lot of people that help, but um, anytime you can add to the atmosphere and anything you can make a, an, a tweak or adjustment to make it better, the kids love it, and, and I think they'll be really excited. They haven't, I don't think they've seen the new scoreboard, so I think they'll be excited to see what it looks like. So I think, uh, you know, you just talk about atmosphere. Obviously, we mentioned people will be able to come into the stands. If, if you had to kind of give a just a quick, like, 30-second, uh, you know, selling, be like, hey. A promo. You know, like, a promo it. or say. A quick <laughs> hit real quick to, to kind of talk straight to those people that want to come to the game or might be thinking about coming to this game. What would you say directly to them to try and kind of push them to, to showing up next Saturday? Hey, put me on the spot here. Um, I will say this. Um, the, the players have worked their butts off, uh, and they've been through so much this year. It's been such an up-and-down year. Uh, every time we've gone somewhere, that the energy and the enthusiasm, the buy-in of this group has been there since spring. Uh, really, since January, we had an unbelievable winter workout, and they've been, then they had to stop. Then we came back in July, then they had to stop. Then they came back in the fall, we had to have a pause. Now we're back at it. I want these guys, I want their people who are on the fence to see that this program is going in the right direction and that when we get back on the field March 6th against Shorter, there's going to be a really good product on the field, and they're going to have a chance to believe in something and buy into something that's going to be bigger than just our football team, but Limestone's community as a whole. I think you'll be really proud of this group. Well, that's perfect. I think that kind of takes us to the end here, of course. We, we want to see everybody out at, uh, at the reservation next Saturday. Uh, right now we have about 700 tickets out, so I, I just checked on the numbers just live here. Um, so we got about 700 tickets out. There's about 1,200 or so that are still available. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the fence, if you're one of those people, go ahead. Look, like I said, go to limestonesaints.com. Uh, on the top there, there's a ticket link. Fill out the form. Fill out all that information, and we'll get you your tickets on game day. Um, we'll also be providing a live stream of that scrimmage as well, um, which I know a lot of people at home will appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, so you can find all that information on golimestonesaints.com as well. But, uh, Coach Turk, we'd like to thank you for, for joining us this morning and kind of delving down into kind of your football career a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a trip down memory lane for me for sure. I appreciate it, Jordan. Mike, thanks all. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. So that'll do it here for Episode 9 of the Breaking the Rock podcast. Uh, make sure that you follow us along all season long at golimestonesaints.com for all episodes of this podcast. golimestonesaints.com backslash podcast. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and as well now on iHeartRadio.